Please uh, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. I hope you brought your Bible today. If you did not bring your Bible, uh, we actually have some in the seats uh, around you. You can grab one from a chair nearby or turn to your app. John chapter 4, verses 4 through 26. Years ago when I was a uh, student in college, a group of about a dozen of us students went out to Enchanted Rock for an awesome day of hiking out near Fredericksburg. And have you been to Enchanted Rock? How many of you have been to? Lots. Yeah, good. Um, So those of you who have been there, what you need to know is it was August when we went. Um, and you also need to know that we were really smart as Texas A&M college students. Um, so we each brought like a bottle of water with us, maybe two bottles of water for our all-day hike out at Chain Rock in August. Um, you can imagine how quickly those one to two bottles of water... <laughs> went for us. Uh, so we were dying out there in the afternoon, and we were just killing ourselves dying. We hiked up and down the rock for hours. I remember uh, two things. I remember getting back to the, the headquarters, park headquarters, 5 p.m. or so, and uh, getting a, a root beer. I mean, I would have paid, paid 10 bucks for this root beer I'm out of the, the drink machine and how good it tasted. Wow, that was great. Second thing was what, what a horrible headache I had um, that night. The worst headache I have ever had. Um, just felt miserable. And that story goes to show how important water is to the human body. We know it's important to the human soul as well. What do I mean? Well, Jesus talks about living water. And how without it, um, without that living water, our souls will shrivel up. Um, We will be sick in our spirit, in our inner being. And the story that we are going to read is about Jesus offering this living water. And so let us listen um, to the word of God from John chapter 4. Starting in verse 4, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria, the scriptures say. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as it was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon, the heat of the day. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, Well, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw from, and this well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater 
than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Well, go back and call your husband. Come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming, and when He does, He will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am He. Now, there is so much that has been said and could be said about this, uh, this scripture passage. Today, I want to focus on the conversation that Jesus has with this woman. Um, as outsiders looking into this story, we can plainly see from our point of view that Jesus had much different motives than just to ask uh, this lady for a drink. That's, that's not why he engaged in this conversation with her. He is going to make her an offer. And the woman is taken aback by this offer. Um, and uh, he's, well, she's also taken aback initially by his asking her for help. Um, it would have been very unusual for a man to approach a woman in Jesus' day um, alone, and especially to ask her for help. Um, very uncommon. And Jesus says, if you really knew who I was and what I can give you, you would ask for living water. And at first, it appears that she doesn't quite know what he means. Um, back in Jesus' day, how did people get their water? Well, they would have these large um, kind of cisterns that would collect rainwater. And you can imagine that a cistern collecting rainwater back in Jesus' day might not have had the most clean, pure water for people to drink from. Um, but there were sources of what they would describe as living water, spring water that, that, that flowed and was, was clean and, and cool. Um, so maybe she's thinking that he's referring to this, this kind of cool, 
natural spring water. But that Jesus makes it clear that is not what he's talking about. And I want to look at verse 14 and use this throughout the rest of the message. So look at this scripture together, verse 14. Uh, Jesus says, um, maybe I didn't, yeah, there, there it is. Uh, Whoever drinks this water, I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So we're going to look through that verse in this message. I want to look at three things um, about this verse. I'm going to look at um, how we drink the water that Jesus offers, uh, where it comes from, and what it does. How do we drink? Where does it come from? And what does it do? Uh, how do we drink from it? It's, it's interesting. Um, anyone this morning looking for a, a quick, easy, three-step process for knowing how to drink this water that Jesus gives us um, will be disappointed by this, by this story. It's not one of these, here's the easy methods for growing in your life with Jesus kind of, kind of scriptures. Um, it's a pretty fascinating story with a complicated conversation between Jesus and uh, this woman. Um, how would she actually drink from this water? I think it's an important question because there are many, many Christians um, that know about this promise of living water from Jesus, but still feel dry. And maybe that's you this morning, still feeling a little dry in your faith. Is there something this story reveals about how do we drink this living water that Jesus offers to us? So after his initial offer, she asks him for this living water. What does Jesus do next? Jesus offers living water. She asks for it. You would think it would make sense for Jesus to say, okay, here it is, or here's how you drink of it. But that's not what he says. He says, go get your husband. Why does Jesus say that? There, there is no need for him to say that. He could simply give this poor woman this living water that he has already offered to her, and, um, and it would make sense for him to do that. Instead, he says in his reply, go get your husband, which doesn't make sense. Unless, of course, that is necessary for her to receive and drink from this living water. This next part of the conversation where Jesus says, go get your husband. So she says, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus reveals only what he could reveal as, as um, you know, more than just a human being, right? Never met this woman before. He says, yes, you've had five husbands already, and the man that you have now is not your husband. And it's clear from this story that this woman has a past that she is ashamed of, very likely um, including some sexual impropriety. She has gone through a series of husbands, likely a series of failed marriages, perhaps this last fellow that she's with. She got to the point of saying, you know, this marriage thing just isn't working out for me. So... 
how about let's not and just pretend that we did with this sixth fella. And, um, and what Jesus does when he asks her to bring her husband is he reveals that she is someone who has deep needs, right? Deep thirsts, deep relational needs, this need of love and friendship and companionship. And yet she is filling that legitimate need, right? That's a legitimate need, love, friendship, companionship. She is filling that legitimate need in very illegitimate ways. That, by the way, is um, always sin when we do that. When we, you know, people usually don't set out to become raging sinners. Like, I just want to be a sinner. That's not usually how that goes. People set out to meet legitimate needs or to, to fill, to pursue legitimate needs in their life but doing it through illegitimate ways. Um, So we have a need for love. We have a need to exercise dominion and show creativity and produce. We have a need for affirmation. We have a need for affection when we try to meet those needs in illegitimate ways. That's, That's sin. And Jesus probes deep down into this woman's life because the living water that Jesus offers to us, it's not like this this shallow puddle that we can just, you know, get a drink from really quickly that's going to dry up in an hour or so. The, the living water that Jesus gives to us is like this underground aquifer that is buried deep beneath the surface, but it's this continual supply of fresh, life-giving water. But you need to dig down deep to access it. So here's how we drink from Jesus' living water. We drink living water by allowing Jesus to dig deep in our lives. Like with a sharp instrument, dig down deep. You can't use the little plastic Toys R Us shovel to dig down deep, right? We have to let Jesus cut us open with a sharp instrument. Jesus is our Savior, but he's also our surgeon. Remember what Jesus said when the Pharisees complained that he was eating with tax collectors and sinners. What did Jesus say? He said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And what is Jesus comparing comparing himself to? A doctor! And what does a doctor do when there's a cancer that is eating someone up from the inside out? He gets out a knife, or she gets out a knife, and the doctor cuts it out. Jesus saves you, but he also has to take the knife to you. That's, that's part of a, a Christian walk. So Jesus comes to bring healing to you, but that healing cannot come without him taking out his knife. Jesus revealed the sin that is in this woman's life, and he will do that to us as well. And he has to do that to us so that we can confess our sins. That's part of Jesus digging deep into our lives is this confession of our sins. It's when we confess our sins that we come to know the gift of God that is Christ. John Calvin 
says the starting point of, of truly knowing the gift of God. Remember, Jesus says, if you really knew the gift of God to this lady, the starting point of truly knowing the gift of God, that is Jesus Christ, is John Calvin says, is when we are convicted of our spiritual poverty because nobody seeks a solution unless they believe that there is a problem. And we have to realize there is this problem in our life. And there is one solution, and it is the gift that God gives as Jesus Christ. So we have to let Jesus pierce deep in our hearts so that we can truly see our need for him. How we drink begins first by recognizing this thirst that we have and knowing I cannot get real refreshment from anywhere else. Um, and my voice is kind of raw this morning because last night I was at a party. I was at a, a dance for my senior daughter um, graduating from high school. And we are in um, kind of a you know, banquet room. Um, band was playing. It was pretty loud. And so I'm talking to people. I like to talk to people. But I can't hear a thing, and they can't hear a thing. And so we're just talking really loud to one another, not really knowing what we're saying and just kind of nodding our heads, right? I think someone believes that I'm the president of the state of Houston, and, you know, that's how that conversation went. What? Who? You know? Oh, okay, that's great. You're president of the state of Houston. Wonderful. Um, you know, and sometimes I think we can approach our Christian faith um, like that, um, that... Uh, you know, we're, you know, Lord have mercy on us and bless us. Um, we, don't, we don't take the time to get to a quiet spot and actually listen to God. Um, and I think that's what it takes for him to dive deep and dig deep into our hearts. Um, is for us to get to a quiet space and really listen so that we're not in the, the crowded room just kind of, yeah, God, we get it, and, and him saying stuff to us, but it's not really hearing it. So for us to allow God to, to dig deep, we have to, it's going to be different for every person. It's going to take time. It's going to take intention. Um, it often will require going to some other Christians who have been that, that journey before and um, talking to them about it, about you know, what's going on in your life and how you may be dry. And um, here are some things that I am relying on in my life for happiness, just like this woman is relying on these distorted relationships for happiness and just processing that with someone or processing that with God, but in a, in a real quiet, reflective manner where you set the time to do it. Um, but I'm convinced that we really can't drink from this living water that Jesus has for us unless we do that and allow God the time to dig deep into our lives. Okay, so where does this living water come from? That's our second point. Living water comes entirely from Jesus. My voice from last night popping out. That's why I'm popping down cough drops because it's pretty raw. Uh, uh, Second point. Where does living water come from? Living water comes entirely from Jesus and not from ourselves. 
Jesus says, whoever drinks the water, I give them. It's, it's his gift. It's his living water that he gives to us. The reason Jesus has to dig in our lives is because the human temptation is to, in some form or fashion, in one way or the other, try to forge for ourselves other channels of water um, for, for happiness and, and, and uh, fulfillment in life. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 says this, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. And one of the common ways that we do this is by building our identity, building our self-worth on something that cannot possibly bear that weight, something that cannot possibly bear the weight of our identity, our our self-worth on it. Because God has never intended us to do that with anything else other than himself and his love for us. God has designed this world so that it just doesn't completely satisfy us on its own. You know, how many of you right now are kind of looking forward to another time other than right now? And I'm not talking about, yeah, sermon time being over, you're looking forward to lunch. Not that, but looking forward to some other time in, you know, in, in life, you know, later in the future. Um, we seem to go through stages like that. You know, when we're younger, we're often looking forward to when we're older. We get older, and sometimes we're like, oh, boy, I will only be young again. Wish we could go back. And you have children, and it's wonderful. They're three and wonderful, and then they grow up, and you might long for another time. Oh, I wish they could go back to being three again. Or, oh, I wish they'd get up finish growing up and get out of the house. You know, one of those things we're, we're longing for so often another time, a different time. But now the point is we're never at a point in life when it's perfect. We're always looking for when there is more, more time, more energy, more money, more status, more pleasure. We're looking for a time when there's less, less stress, less hectic busyness, less, less weight on our guts or less you know, bills to pay. And in the shifting nature of life, we can try to anchor ourselves to something and make it solid in our life. Hang on to something that keeps shifting from this world and try to get purpose and fulfillment out of that. Ultimately, I think we use control. We want to control things to provide security and satisfaction for ourselves. And God has just not designed this world to do that for us. We try to trench for ourselves other channels of water. And I think what the woman says next, actually, in this conversation is an example of that. Her trying to trench for herself another source of water, refreshing water. Jesus takes this knife, exposes the sexual sins and failures in relationships in her life. And what does she say next? She says, well, I can see that you're a prophet. Um, Tell me, she says, look at verse 20. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain over here, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is on that mountain over there in Jerusalem. Which one is it, prophet? And many people, when they look at this scripture, they say, oh, she just kind of, that's a diversion, right? She's avoiding 
the topic that Jesus introduced. She's just throwing out anything to steer him in a different direction. I mean, and I do think there's a little bit of misdirection on her part here. Um, but I think she steers the conversation to a place that is very important to her, actually. And Jesus has pointed out her failure in relationships, so she's looking for something else that she can hang on to. You know, where do I worship God? Because I want to get that right. You know, I want to get that right. I, I want to be pleasing to God. I wanted to know, you know, if it's not my relationships that are working, I want to know at least my religion's working in my life. So that's another stream of water for myself. If I could get this religion thing down right, if I'm worshiping God in the right place, I know I could be pleasing to God. At least I know, at least I can know that I'm being good at being religious, right? And Jesus says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor on the mountain in Jerusalem. What is he saying? He's saying, location doesn't matter. It's not about getting it right. It's not about getting the formula right or the procedure down right. This isn't about you coming up with the right technique or method. Worship is not about you doing it right. And then he says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Now, this is not an encouraging statement for this woman, right? She's wanting to get religion right. And he's saying, you Samaritans, you're not even worshiping the God that you know. Jesus is pointing out to her on her own. She cannot worship God. She cannot come to God on her own merits. And then he says in verse 23, Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. What do you think Jesus means when he says the time has coming and has now come? So, He follows up a not-too-encouraging statement with a very encouraging statement. Now is the time, dear woman, I am here. I am here. I'm including you. It's, It's his water to offer. And that's why Jesus had to go through Samaria. Because he has this grace to give this woman who can't come to God on her own. And goes out of his way, way out of his way to meet this one sinful woman who does not even have the right religious genes in her. And he exposes her sin, and he has every right to condemn her, but he doesn't. He doesn't. Instead, he invites her to give her heart to the Father and worship. So how do you get this living water? Well, ultimately, by realizing that Jesus has made this long journey, not just for this woman, but for you. Jesus bore the heat of the day. Jesus was made thirsty on the cross for you. He'll probe deep in your heart and he'll see all kinds of sin, but he won't condemn you either. If you want living water, anchor your hope in Jesus' love for you. 
and we will completely misunderstand Christianity and what Christianity is all about unless we remember that fundamentally our spiritual life does not begin with our pursuit of God. It begins with God's pursuit of us. Your life with God does not begin with your effort to get to God. It began with God's great effort to get to you in giving you a Savior, Jesus Christ. So finally, what does living water do in our lives? At the end of verse 14, let's go back to this verse. Jesus says, indeed, the living water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The word for welling up there, it means a leaping, over, bubbling up, springing up. It's a very energetic word. It's the same word used in Acts chapter 3, verse 8, where Peter and John are going to the temple. There's a lame man there, and he asks for help, and they say, well, we don't have any money to give you, but we have Jesus Christ. And in Jesus' name, rise up and walk, and Acts 3, verse 8 says that he went walking and leaping and praising God. Same word as this living water that Jesus offers for us. This living water will leap inside of you, Jesus says. Now, what does he mean? Does that mean that a Christian should always be excited and bubbly? I don't think so. I hope not. Um, For my own sake, because I'm not always excited and bubbly. I don't think so. Jesus wasn't always excited and bubbly. In fact, if we read through the, the Gospels about Jesus, probably those aren't words that we would first choose to describe Jesus by reading those stories, excited and bubbly. Um, now, that doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't joyful. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't expect to have joy. And sometimes, even at just this ex- exuberance at times, But having this living water, I don't think, means that we're always on some spiritual high, just wanting to leap out of our shoes. Here's what it does mean. It means living water purifies our other streams. Our other streams, all of our legitimate needs that God has put in us, needs for relationships, for friendship, for um, to do work, to, to produce and be creative, um, to, to, to have affection in our life. All these other streams. Living water purifies all of our other streams. Um, let me give you an example from this woman's life. At the end of, end of uh, chapter 4, we didn't, we didn't read this. She returns to the village. His village is full of people that have outcasted this woman. That's why she's at the well all by herself in the middle of the day. Because she's an outcast in the village. At the end of chapter 4, she returns to the village and she starts telling everyone she knows about Jesus. This is what she says. Come, say a man who told me everything I ever did. Now think about a villager hearing the woman come back and say that. They'd be like, 
Yeah, you might want to keep a lid on everything that you've ever done because what she has ever done is not making the, you know, it's not the notable acts of honor list. It's kind of the list of shame. <laughs> and she's saying, this man has told me what I've, everything I've ever done. Don't you see? how she is now relating to the people in the village in a completely different way, now without shame in those relationships. Let me, let me ask you, how would you like to have your relationships, to be able to say, in my relationships with others, I feel no shame? Wouldn't that be nice? Because maybe, you've, maybe you feel shame. Maybe you have parents that have made you feel just shame. Like you haven't measured up you're not measuring up, going in the wrong direction. Um, friendships where maybe you have let other people down and you feel kind of ashamed about that. How would you like to be freed from that shame? You see how Jesus, the living water, purifies all of our other streams? Because now she's able to, she's able to rely on the living water that she's received from Jesus. Her identity is not based on her past, not based on her actions, but on Jesus' love and forgiveness for her sins. That's how living water cleanses all of our other streams. It's like taking a, a fire hose to you know, the, the, other, the little garden hoses that are leading into our lives, and we're like, oh, yeah, it's, it's fun to have friends and to have you know, good work to do, and, and you got my church over here, and they can be contaminated sources of water, but you take this, this, guard, this fire hose to it and blast this clean, fresh, living water through them all. You know, our work. Work can be very fulfilling, but there's always someone that's doing something better than you at the office, right? If, if you make your life about your work, you'll never be doing good enough, long enough in your work. But because you've not only been accepted by Christ, but you've also been pursued by Jesus Christ. You don't need to look to your work for a sense of your value anymore. I mean, you drink from living water. I mean, you're just able to to take every other stream in your life, a meaningful stream in a different way. Your Christian faith doesn't have to be about trying to impress God or, or prove anything to God or anyone else about your religious devotion. Um, if, you, if you see your religious faith primarily as your pursuit of God, you'll always feel, oh, I'm just not doing enough. You know, I'm not reading the Bible enough. I'm not praying hard enough. It's only when you remember that regardless of your efforts, God still pursues you. He never gives up on you. That your faith, your religious faith, can be a source of clean living water instead of a source of guilt and not measuring up. So are you thirsty? Are you thirsty this morning? In John chapter 7, I'm going to close with this story. We read about this Jewish festival that is being celebrated in Jerusalem, the festival of um, booths or tabernacles, it was referred to as. And it is described as the most joyful of all of the the Jewish religious festivals, annual festivals. Uh, They would celebrate at the end of the harvest season. And it was a time of thanksgiving for all that God had done for the people. 
and the harvest that he had brought to them and how he provided for their needs, and they were told to celebrate. Um, it also took place at the end of the dry season, and so at the festival of booze or tabernacles, um, the Jewish people would then cry out to God for rain, for water, because they needed that water at the end of the dry season so that they could have a successful crop um, the next year. And so they would cry out to God for water. They'd, they'd, they'd call it Hallel, God save, save by sending us water. And there's this, this ceremony at the end of the Festival of Booze when, when the priest would take this golden pitcher and he would parade down to the pool of Siloam and the Jews would be parading with the priest and he'd dip the, the, fill the pitcher up with the, the water from the pool and they would, they would walk back to the altar at the temple, and they would read certain psalms of praise and God's faithful provision for the Israelites. And then, kind of the high point of this festival, the, the, the priest would take the golden pitcher of water and pour it out on the altar. And it was a people's, it's a way for them to thanks God, thank God for his faithfulness, but also pray in dependence on God for this life-giving water. And it's at this festival, at this high point, this last day of the festival, John chapter 7 says that Jesus stands up and calls out in a loud voice, Let everyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. He's the source of all living water. He is our hope. So let's drink from him. Amen. Our Lord and our God, we are in awe that we share this story with this woman that there is a past that we have that can bring us shame. We have actions, we have sinful actions. We have pursued legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. And you know all of that about us. And yet, instead of coming to judge us, you come to serve us and save us. And you forgive us of our sins. And you free us from guilt and shame and 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 Father, we pray that we would receive this living water that Christ has to offer us. As we get ready to share in this communion meal, that we would be renewed and refreshed and that it would be a source of healing and encouragement and a sure sign of your unending love for us. And may that be the source of our satisfaction and fulfillment and identity in life as your beloved child, as someone that you have pursued long and far in order to save. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Amen.